So I know my voice is weird, so hopefully you'll just get used to it after a couple of minutes. Uh, yesterday I could hardly speak at all, so we're just considering this a miracle. We're a miracle. I have the cold that I haven't had for two years. Anybody else catch that cold this spring? I promised you I don't have COVID. Uh, I get a spring cold every year, but with, uh, with all the lockdowns and stuff, I've been uh, avoiding it, and now... I'm just on the back end of it. I actually feel completely fine. My voice just didn't get the memo that we're fine, okay? Um, so if you guys want to uh, open up your Bibles to the, cha- uh, the book of Luke, um, and then also to the beginning of the book of Acts, because we're going to flip there really quickly too. If you're with us on version in the version Bible app, you can go to uh, more and then events, and you can follow along. These scriptures are already loaded up there for you. Um, we are so, <laughs> we've done it. Guys, we filled the whole wall. <laughs> I'm so excited. We filled the whole wall. We're on the end. Uh, You're like, what is she talking about? If you're new with us, we've just been adding one of these every week, and I like stuff like that, so it made me happy. And we are uh, at the end of not really the Passion Week, but we are doing, uh, after Easter Sunday, we are now 40 days later is what we're going to be talking about today, the Ascension. And we don't talk about the Ascension a lot, but man, I hope that when you leave this place this morning that you'll have a sense that... What is, what's happening now is incredible, and I hope it fills your hearts with joy and hope. And, and I, I, I hope that you, when, you, when you hear what the scriptures say about, uh, we are going to tour the scriptures this morning, so just seatbelts on, let's go. Um, and I, I hope that that's, that's what you feel when you, when you leave, it's just a reminder of, oh my goodness, this is like Jesus is, and you can't even fill in the blank. It's just like, it's kind of like that. That's, that's what I was grabbing out of these scriptures as I was studying the uh, ascension. So let's jump right into Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Easter Sunday, we were in Luke 24 talking about the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now we're just going to go a little bit further here. We're going to finish off Luke's gospel. Luke 24, we're going to start at verse 44. And it says this, he said to them, this is Jesus, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When Jesus had led them out of the vicinity, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So this is the gospel of Luke. And so uh, Luke is actually, uh, is actually more like... Luke wrote two volumes, and they're separated in the scriptures by the Gospel of John, probably because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are are called the synoptic Gospels, and they're very similar. John's Gospel is very different in in his approach to writing the stories of Jesus. And so just so you know, but Luke, the Gospel of Luke is like volume one. The book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, is like volume two. So Luke also wrote that. So I want you to just jump over to Acts chapter one 
which is Luke's continuation of this story. And again, he, the first, uh, his gospel was also kind of dedicated to or written for uh, Theophilus. And so he, a guy, he's writing to him like about the credibility of all of these things that happened with Jesus. And so he writes this other volume. And it really is a volume. Between these two books, Luke um, is the, it writes the most words in all of the New Testament between these two books, okay? So he's writing these volumes, collecting all of this information. And when he gets into Acts chapter one, he tells the same story, but he tells it with a, a few different details here. Verse one of Acts one. In my former book, which is Luke. Yeah, good. I just want to make sure you're listening. I, I'm hoping you can actually understand my voice this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Just note that. He began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going when two, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. There are so many places we could pause in these scriptures. We pause over this same Jesus returning the same way that he went. Oh, there's so much there. We could pause over the fact that Luke says these are, the, these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. How is Jesus still doing things and teaching things, friends, if he's not here on earth anymore? It's through us. It's the Holy Spirit. We don't even have time to get into that today. But um, there are so many places to pause in this beautiful scriptures. But I will say this about this story uh, that Luke tells in, in his gospel and in the book of Acts. This story is a gift for us. And like usual, Jesus isn't hiding. He's not being weird. He's not being mysterious. He's giving them um, an understanding of what's next. He's just always leading them forward. He's showing them that this chapter with him walking around in a physical form has come to a close, but that something incredible is about to begin, and he's very clear about it. And we call this event the ascension, as I mentioned. Jesus ascends into heaven, and it is actually a really beautiful gift for his followers because it, when they actually physically see him ascend into heaven, it gives them a certainty that he is gone. They're not looking for him. They're not wondering if he's going to appear among them again. And they understand he's gone for now, but they're, they're told that he's going to be with them and they will see him again. So there's just like a beautiful certainty to what happens and, and that is a gift for them. When Matthew in his gospel describes uh, Jesus, uh, this, this, this scene, uh, 
And he records some very, very famous words of Jesus uh, that we know as the Great Commission. Uh, at the very end of his gospel, in chapter 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, All authority in, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus commissioned his followers to go. He told them to make disciples. You probably heard this. He, told, he said, baptize them and teach them my commands. But how on earth can Jesus claim that he is always going to be with them and then disappear into the clouds? That's a great question. I'd love to answer that for you. <clears throat> Thank you for asking. Let's take a closer look at what Jesus says in, in Luke's two accounts of the ascension and then let's find out how it is that Jesus is very much has fulfilled and is fulfilling this promise. So in Acts 1-3, we already read. So if you have your uh, finger there, you can actually just go back and forth. We're going to pop back and forth between these two accounts because they're both going to help us. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. In other words... After Jesus rose from the dead, he does all of this for 40 days. Why? To show them that, yeah, this was not a hallucination. This is not a dream. This is not wishful thinking. He spent 40 days appearing to them, teaching them, proving his resurrection to them. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us that he appeared to more than 500 disciples at one time. And so basically what Jesus is saying to them by doing that, just like that, we, we learn from, from uh, Luke's account here. He's saying, I really am alive. You really can trust me. You can trust all that you saw, all that, all that you walked with, all that you wondered about. I really am here. So he spent 40 days assuring them of that. And then in, in, in Luke 24, 44 to 48, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witness of these things. So Jesus does something very similar here that he did with the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus when they sat. He, broke, he was describing to them all of these things from Scripture that were being fulfilled in him. And when, when Luke mentions here the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, those are the three major divisions of the Hebrew scriptures that they would have had at the time. And so what that basically means is that there is no part of scripture that doesn't testify about Jesus. So he shows them like, literally all of these things have been testifying about me for all of this time and it really is here. And he's saying to them, remember what you know. Remember what you know. Connect the dots. You can see me. You can see me if you look for me. You'll see me there, I promise. And then Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts, he said, it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And he's, so he's saying to them, listen, here's how I'm going to do this. Here's how I'm going to fulfill this promise. I am always going to be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So wait for it. Wait for it. I promised and I will deliver. Jesus promised to be with them. And then he, he proved himself, he delivered on that promise by, by showing himself alive for 40 days and ascending alive into heaven. He did it by forever connecting the dots for them between what was written about the Messiah and what was fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus himself. And he, he showed it to them, he fulfilled this promise by sending the Holy Spirit to empower them with his presence every day for every occasion. And that fulfilled promise of his presence being with us all the time is absolutely for us today as well. It started here, he promised it here, and it has been true for more than 2,000 years. But those are not actually the only ways that uh, Jesus is with us, as if it wasn't enough. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, his presence literally given to us, as scripture says, as a down payment, like, like we have this, this assurance, this marking, uh, this ability to carry the presence of Jesus with us everywhere we go. But that's what we're going to talk about in our next series, so we don't have time for that right now. Uh, but... He is also, not, not only that, then we're going to get into that extensively in the next couple of weeks. Did you know that he is also active in eternity on our behalf right now? He's not sitting up in heaven just chilling, waiting for the tribulation to begin, watching the clock tick, whatever. Scripture says no, not at all. He's up to some things. And they are really important for us to understand. The first thing is this. He is seated at the right hand of God. I thought you said he wasn't just chilling. Yeah, I know, but that's not just like him hanging out, like just sitting on a throne, you know, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for what's next. Not at all. When, when someone is seated at the right hand, that is a symbol of uh, power and authority. So by, by scripture saying that Jesus is, and it says repeatedly, uh, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it means that he is seated in the place of all power and authority. So how does that help us? Well, 1 Peter 3.22 says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. Hebrews 10 says, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered up for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Or as Daniel saw in his prophetic vision in chapter 7 of that book, he said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion in an everlasting dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So what does that mean? It means that everything is subject to him. I already even quoted this one, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He has the ability to do that because of the position of authority and power that he has now received in heaven. And this means 
that there is no area in your life or situation that you face that is not ultimately under the power or authority of Christ. So when you call on him, you can trust him to be the leader of your life. You can trust that nothing is too difficult for him. You can trust that there is nothing that's outside of his control because he's seated at the right hand of God. The second thing that Jesus is doing, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus is interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says, Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Like literally, the priests would like serve for his lifetime or to a certain age and then somebody else would take over because they would die, right? And now Hebrews is saying, that's not, that's not a thing anymore because Jesus came as the great high priest and he he died, but then he rose again. He lives forever, so that he's like a permanent priest now is what Hebrews is talking about. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. First John 1 says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So what does this mean that Jesus intercedes for us, that Jesus is our advocate? What it means is that it's like having a defense lawyer at your side at all times. Jesus is literally answering the accusations against you. Some, you know, the enemy would come and say, do you know? Do you know what Tracy has done? Have you seen that? And Jesus is like, I took care of it. That, oh, that's been dealt with. That's, that's off the table. That's no longer relevant evidence in this case. What about that? Nope, I covered that too. Yeah, but do you know? Oh, no, I took care of that. She surrendered that to me, and I forgave her. That's what that's like. It's like having a defense lawyer who can say, that, no, that's, that's insufficient evidence. Nope, that doesn't count. Nope, you can't offer that to the court. And here's one for our Revelation CP group that just finished. I love you guys. I miss, I miss you. You want to hang out on Wednesday night on Zoom? Okay. Let's go, right? Let's go. Uh, Revelation 12.10 says this. Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. The enemy, Satan, the devil, this is who we're talking about here, accuses us day and night. But the one, uppercase O, with all authority has hurled him down. So he has complete authority over the one who would want to bring accusations against you. Isn't that an excellent thing, church? And not only uh, is he answering accusations against you, but it also means that Jesus is mediating between uh, us and God. Because sin separates us from God. But Jesus offered his own sacrifice to pay the price for our righteousness, which just means to be in a right relationship with God. So that like Jesus, we can freely be in a relationship with God. So he mediates for us this transaction that we could not mediate on our own. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So ultimately, this means that you are never alone. He's got your back. He is your defender. He's your mediator. He is your advocate. And he's actively doing it for you right now, church. Did you know that? 
You'll get excited later. It's okay. I know you're just absorbing it. I know you're absorbing it. That's cool. Just take it all in. Take it all in. The third thing that Jesus is doing is he's preparing a place for you. John 14, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you, may, you also may be where I am. Okay, listen, I'm excited about this on a few levels. First, I know some of you have incredible design skills. I've seen your houses, okay? Um, but imagine, a, I know you're great at it, but imagine a place that the creator of the universe has prepared for you. Come on. There's no magazine, like, there's no magazine that's going to be able to capture that, okay? And the second thing is this, as I was thinking about what it means that Jesus is preparing a place for us for eternity, other than the amazing thing, we get to be with him for eternity, of course. But I'm thinking about this, like, uh, we were joking about it in our CP group, too, about this mansion over a hilltop. If you grew up in the church and sang that hymn, you know, it got a mansion over a hilltop. And so I was thinking about this, and I thought, in this housing market, sheesh, like, <laughs> it's a big deal. Like, if you're already in the market, you're feeling a little sheepish because you feel so bad for everybody else, right? You're just like, how? How do people buy a house? I'm looking at my kids who are just coming into young adult years now going, you know, we used to joke at our house, Rob and I was just like, hey guys, just so you know, just for your own sake, 18 and out. Like, we don't want a failure to launch here into adulthood, so 18 and out. Okay? Now we're like, okay. <clears throat> How are we going to reconfigure our house to have all of these adults living with us for a decade? Right? Like, this is the reality of, of what we're living in now. It's a, it's... I'm like maybe, like, maybe home ownership isn't going to be a thing for the next generation. Like, we're having these real conversations. You know what it's like. We talk about, us Canadians, we talk about the weather and now real estate. Like, that's all we know how to talk about in our small talk these days. But listen to me. It doesn't matter where you live or where you don't live. It doesn't matter if you're ever able to buy a house or not or you rent for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you live in your parents' basement. But please don't do that forever, guys, okay? We're going to try to help you. <laughs> Jesus himself has a home for you. And you get to live there for eternity. And it's prepared for actually you. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. That means that not only is Jesus with you today, like he's promised, and all the other ways that he's with you. But he's setting things up to be with you forever too. It's pretty great. Like he's preparing for it. And that's not all. We're almost there. I told you Jesus was busy in heaven. The fourth thing he's doing is he is sending the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to us. And this, of course, is the ultimate when he says, I'm going to be with you always. There's all of these ways that he's with us and active in, in our lives and taking care of things and in control of things and all of this. But this is the ultimate of, of him being with us. Jesus goes uh, so far as to tell us that it is good that he leaves the disciples so that he can send the Spirit. And the implication here is that it is better for us, uh, it's, it's better to have the gift of the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus' physical presence on earth with us. Which is kind of a big statement. But he's like, he literally said, it is better if I go. Because then I can send the Spirit and that's going to be far better for you. Jesus was intentionally, when walking on the earth, he was intentionally limited to one time and one place, right, geographically. 
But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is everywhere at all times in all believers. And I hope that this morning you already sensed his presence. I hope you walk into your Monday sensing his presence. I hope, like, like, that's not something that could, if Jesus was still physically walking, he'd have to be somewhere in the world right now, and he wouldn't be here. But because he sent the Spirit, he's literally here with us. Scripture says, I think there's a whole list. Yeah, good, thanks, Malachi. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. So notice in Luke 24, 50, also, just a little side note for you, if you just want to go back there. Notice that Jesus led them to Bethany, their favorite place. This is a little bit of like a, like a, a nerd alert, but if you were paying attention in the Passion Week, how often did they go to Bethany? They like came, he came uh, on Palm Sunday, looked at the temple, then he went to Bethany. Then he came back. He's questioned, he turned the tables, he's questioned, his authority was questioned. He went and he, he, uh, he, had a, he was anointed, Bethany. We don't know where he was on Wednesday, but probably in Bethany. You understand? It's like their favorite place. It's a place of friendship. It's a place of good meals. It was a place of, of, of healing. It's a place of miracles for them. It was a place that was, that was a really, really special to them. And this is where he led them before he ascended. And he said, like, it's like he was saying, this place is forever going to be special. And it was, like, it was like this unspoken message, don't worry. All of this really did happen. I really was here. I really am real. I really do love you. And then Jesus blesses them and he's taken up into heaven. And you know what scripture says? They weren't sad anymore. They understood it. They did what Jesus told them to do. They went back to Jerusalem, Scripture says, with great joy, and they stayed praising God, and they waited for the promised Holy Spirit. And like I said, we are going to get into that um, from now until the Pentecost Sunday in the next series. But here's what I want you to know, church. It matters that Jesus ascended into heaven for a lot of reasons, but we'll just focus on this one today because I believe this is the message for the church that you need to understand. And this message had already been studied for and outlined and all these things. And when Chris was sharing last Sunday, I hope you were able to be part of that. And Chris was just talking about how he sensed the presence of the Lord for the first time. And I was reminded how important it is not to have a feeling about Jesus, but to know, to know, to know that you are never alone. So when Jesus promised to be with you, what he meant is he will be with you. When Jesus said, I, I promise I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, what he meant was he has not left you or forsaken you. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, you are never alone. He rules and reigns with all authority at the right hand of God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to control it. You don't have to be concerned about tomorrow. He's got it. 
He intercedes for you like a defense lawyer and mediates everything that needed to be mediated between you and God so that you could be in relationship with him. He took care of it. He's continually taking care of it. He answers accusations on your behalf right now. He's with you. He's preparing a place for you to be with him forever. He's actively getting ready to spend eternity with you. You are on his mind. You are in his heart. And he's preparing a place for you. And of course, he has sent and continues to send his Holy Spirit. His presence, his very presence, the spirit of Jesus to empower you every day and every moment. You are never alone. This can be a lonely place, this world. You can be surrounded by people and feel lonely. But I want you to hear from the word this morning that Jesus promised it and he has fulfilled it and he's continuing to fulfill. Church, you are never alone. You are never alone. Let's stand together. I know a lot of you, I want to be cautious in, in two ways. Uh, one, one thing is, our faith is not built on emotion. Okay, you understand? We don't trust in Jesus because we feel him. But on the other hand, I also want you to know that he meets us with his peace and presence in a real way. Like he really is real. And not every moment of the day do you have goosebumps or all, any of those kinds of things, but he is real and he does want you to know and be reassured of his presence daily. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so I think for a lot of us, there's been a long time since we have been able to sense the Lord. Maybe we've wandered. Maybe there's sin in our life that's kept us from that. We haven't allowed him to be our advocate. So let's just take a quiet minute, even as we stand. I'm just going to pray, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the Spirit of Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent your Spirit and you continue to send him to us. That as we came to faith in you, we were given that same spirit to live in us, to be able to carry the very presence of Jesus around with us. It's a miracle we don't really know how to understand. But we do pray for ourselves, for our families, for here in our church family. We pray for one another. We ask, Lord, that you would make yourself known. We pray for anyone who is just longing to know the presence and peace of Jesus, that you would come and meet their hearts and minds. I pray for all who are hungry and thirsty. They feel dry in their spirit. Would you come with living water from your spirit and fill every dry and thirsty place? Lord, we invite you to do a work in us and not just today. We, this is just being here together is just a beautiful reminder of who you are and what you've given us and this ability to come together and, and not be alone here now in the family of God. But as we go into our week this week, we commit ourselves to, um, to pursuing the understanding that, Lord, you are with us. We are not walking alone and that you are providing for every step and every need. You are in full control and authority. 
and that you really have fulfilled the promise to be with us. And Jesus, I also ask that as your church, your representatives, would you help us this week now to bring this message to the world that you are real and that people don't have to walk in a lonely, broken world alone, but in fact that they can know true peace, they can know true, true right relationship with God, and then they can know what it's like to, to be surrounded by the loving arms of Christ every day of their lives. So thank you, Jesus, for these promises that you have fulfilled. And in every way, teach us to walk in the knowledge that we have of these things in your word. And we pray it together as your church. And everyone said, amen.